Life on Side B is a ministry of posture shift, a missiological ministry equipping church leaders and parents on LGBT plus inclusion and care. Learn more at postureship.com. Also, we want to thank all of our patrons who keep the podcast going and growing through their continued giving. If you love this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash B. Now on to the episode. Hello, Life on Side B listeners. Um, so happy to be with all of you today. Uh, it is Elizabeth Black here and... Yeah, I've been waiting for this episode. I think I say this every time I'm I'm a part of an episode because the topics this season have been so good. Um, but this is definitely one that has been on my heart, and I'm really, really excited uh, to be here with um, a, an old friend and a new friend. Uh, so we have Ben and Adeline here. Did I say your name right? Please tell me I did. Yes. Yeah. He got it right. Adeline. Okay, whew. Ben and Adeline are joining us today, and uh, it's just such a pleasure to have them here and um, to talk more about their lives and their experience. So I'm going to really just, I'm going to be an observer. I'm going to be a listener today. I'm turning it all over to you both. Um, so let's let's just jump right in. Um, if you, you two wouldn't mind, can you share, you know, your name, how you identify, um, pronouns, and just a little bit about your life and your journey of reconciling your faith and your gender and or sexuality, if that's a component too. So whoever wants to jump in. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, so excited. I've been waiting for a long time to do this as well. Um, my name is Adeline, um, like you said and I'm currently living in Grand Rapids. Um, I am trans and my pronouns are she, her. Um, I transitioned uh, just about six years ago uh, when I was a junior in um, college at a private Christian university. And um, wow. yeah, probably about the four years before 2016, I definitely wrestled with um, gender dysphoria and how that would um, affect my faith and what steps I would take um, because of that. And so um, it's been a long journey, but um, I'm in a place of where I've transitioned and I'm, I'm walking that out um, with Christ mm. and constantly trying to learn more um, about gender dysphoria, also educate others on it and um, also kind of do theological work and discussion around gender mm. dysphoria to bring awareness to the church. Um, so that's what I do and what I like doing. So I'm so happy to be here. So cool, Adeline. Oh my gosh. Even just the first couple sentences, I have a million questions. <laughs> I just can't wait to talk more. Oh my gosh. So good. Going to be great. All right, Ben, let's hear from you. Yeah. My name is Ben Schulke. <clears throat> I am also in Grand Rapids, born and raised. Uh, I would identify, I guess, <clears throat> as a transgender. I'm using they, them pronouns for right now. That may change in the future. We'll see. Um, I think my my journey with faith and gender dysphoria, I feel like, is still being worked out. I'm still trying to process things and figure out what God wants for me. Um, yeah, I think really everything sort of came about about four years ago where I sort of came out to myself and have been wrestling since then. I think where I've really grown though is just trying to learn that Jesus 
still loves me. Like he loves me as I am in sort of the mess and the the tension of, of not really maybe knowing all the answers. Um, but I think in that space, he's been really, really good to me. And it causes me to, <clears throat> causes me to turn to him. Um, but yeah, still figuring everything out. Um, yeah, but I am, I'm grateful to be here. I love my side B people and it's, uh, exciting to see you and Josh, Elizabeth. Ben, it's so good to talk to you again. So I met Ben uh, a few months ago at the Theology and the Raw conference with them and their wife. And it was so great to get to know both of them. It was awesome. So, so glad to talk to you again. And it was such a pleasure to get to know you and hear your story, Ben. So what a wise soul you are. And Adeline, I'm sure, also is a wealth of wisdom. So, so glad that you two are here. Um, I, I'm curious. I'm kind of going off the the prescribed questions, but I'm curious um, since both of you shared that kind of coming to I, I, either coming to terms or coming to accept or realize uh, your gender identities uh, was obviously a lifelong journey, but something that really started to solidify in adulthood. Uh, early adulthood, adulthood. Uh, I'm just curious, what what was life like prior to that? Um, especially if, I, I don't want to assume, but especially if you grew up in a Christian home, like how did you kind of work through or get to this point in, in adulthood where you could actually kind of face some of these, these questions? Yeah, um, it hasn't always been easy. I think um, a lot of people now can look at my life and think, wow, like you have it all figured out. Um, you know, you decided to transition, so you must have all the answers. And I remember when I first came out, people kind of coming to me and like assuming that I had all my theology worked out, that I had um, all of my faith questions settled and that was just not the case. Um, I made a decision out of faith um, and trust based off of what I was experiencing and the symptoms I was experiencing with gender dysphoria and I kind of made a step without knowing all the answers. I had done a lot of discernment, um, but was still not sure 100% that this was going to be the best route for me or that this is the route that God wanted. Um, before my adulthood, I grew up in a very conservative um, denomination. It was one of those smaller denominations that had split off from another, a more mainline um, reform denomination. Um, and so I was with folks that, you know, read the Bible very literally, um, believed in like seven day creationism, um, definitely outspoken about gay issues. And back then um, being trans wasn't even really in the language at all. So I was always kind of lumped in with the gay issue, if I can say that. Um, and and you see yourself like at the time, did you see yourself lumped into that or were you kind of did you just say, oh, that, those, that's other people, it's not me? Yeah, I actually never saw myself in that group. And for a long time, I actually had to work through a lot of my internalized like homophobia. So even like a year or two into transition, I was still very like not affirming. I was still kind of mm -hmm. deconstructing what I thought about those things. So I never viewed myself as part of that group. 
but I kind of inherently knew that the words that were used to describe those people also applied to me. So I remember being in kind of a Wednesday night kind of Bible study where we got let out of our kids' events and we kind of sneak into the the, um, sanctuary and kind of listen to like what our parents were talking about. And I remember them talking about like the gay agenda with like the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a Christian like lawyer group. And I remember them talking specifically about how it's going to be like, it's going to be gay, being gay is going to be funny today, but it's going to be accepted tomorrow. It's going to be like promoted the next day. And I remember my catechism teacher sitting right in front of me being like, that's so disgusting. I, and I just like kind of cringed up. And so at that point I knew I wasn't going to ever really say anything to anybody. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thanks for sharing. I, I think it's really, it's always, you know, fascinating how innate some of that is in in all of our experiences that like even when we don't identify within the LGBTQ community and at the time just the LGBT or LGB community mm-hmm. that there's still something about it that it's like but I there's something about this that hits close to home mm-hmm. um so thank yeah thanks for sharing Ben what about you like how how did your upbringing kind of play a role in in your gender identity. Hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting to sort of look back through my life because I can see a lot of things that I didn't, because I didn't have the language. Um, so I, I grew up in a home that wasn't, it, it was kind of a mixed faith. So my mom uh, was attending an Episcopalian church pretty consistently. My dad would stay home and uh, he's a construction worker so he that was his day to like not do anything and i think he had a lot of pain from the church and so he very much distanced himself from anything uh related to christianity and faith and i pretty much grew up sort of aligned with his beliefs um he was also sort of this like hyper masculine figure and I never aligned with that, even from an early age. I just kind of really struggled with that. And there were some incidences, too, where I'm just like, you know, I just didn't feel like I could compare with that. Um, I had a pretty good relationship with him, um, but I certainly felt um, closer and felt like I was more like my my mother, um, especially even growing up, just like a lot more sensitive, a lot uh I don't know, just more, I don't know, compassionate. Those aren't necessarily feminine things, but uh, <laughs> certainly like my mom was one to, to, to listen and, you know, be invested in um, I very much, you know, loved those things. Um, I came to Christ as a teenager and that certainly shaped a lot of my worldview. Um, I sort of came to the place and like, okay, I need to know if this is true. And I just went hardcore into reading the Bible and trying to understand like, is this, is this something that I can really believe in? And I, I found that I could, you know, and I, and I've seen Jesus move in my life um, in dramatic ways. I'm certainly not the person I would have been if I had never met Christ. Mm. Um, But I never really like saw the gender dysphoria for what it was. It was like, I, it was sort of puzzle pieces that weren't showing the full picture until later when I had the language and a lot, I mean, the transgender Mm -hmm. conversation wasn't really 
a topic. I mean, you'd see some things about like Jazz Jennings or Caitlyn Jenner sort of pop up uh, throughout the last uh, decade or two. But um, and then and their stories always fascinated me for sure. Um, but as I so I was a youth pastor um, for several years as I was going through seminary and had a, a teenager that identified as pangender. And so I'm, I want to care for this person. So I'm, you know, doing all this research. And I'm like, I, this stuff sort of makes sense to me in like my own life and um, did some work on shame. So I think that was probably the biggest piece for me where I started wow. looking throughout my life and there was this the time through puberty where I just, I remember vividly just like um, being frustrated with my body, very much desiring um, to have like female body parts and, and to, to be a woman. I And I didn't know what to do with those things. Like um, I didn't know who to talk to. Wow. I didn't have language for that. And so I largely yeah. suppressed it until, you know, I'm starting to do the shame work and, and seeing like, I'm so ashamed of my body and like some of these things brought up. And so, I mean, that that journey has continued, I think, onward. Um, as far as, like, what the scriptures say about transitioning and, like, what does Jesus want for us? You know, I think those are still some big question marks, but that's not really where Jesus has been taking yeah. me in my faith. It's more been, like, do I really believe I'm loved? Um, and I think it's mm. been interesting. Um, that's something I've wrestled with for a long time. And in some ways, I think God sort of revealed this to me because I couldn't just think my way out of it. Um, it was almost like, I'm going to wow. bring this up because I want to show you that I love you in the mess. Um, and wow. very much had an experience through listening prayer um, with one of my mentors where I met with Jesus and I didn't see shame or embarrassment or shock in his eyes, even though he could completely see me. And I think that's something I, I cling to that I want to continue to go back to and something I want to continue to, to promote that um, transgender people are people and they're beloved by God. And, and that's what I'm trying to pursue. And I think, you know, what that looks like is going to be different. I mean, obviously, um, Adeline and I have different paths, but I think we're still we're worshiping the same God and, and he's been moving in our lives. Amen. So. Mm -hmm. oh. oh, I love it. So good. And yeah, I just, uh, just listening to both of you, I, I'm really inspired by, by the strength that the Lord has given both of you to, to, to really like go through this process with him. I, I can only imagine how easy it would be to be like, I'm just going to put my spirituality over there on this shelf and deal with gender and do it the way that I feel makes the most sense and leave God out of it. Like, and, and I think that there's probably, I would imagine that's probably a temptation for a lot of people. And we see that in the queer community in general, like, uh, Adeline, I think you said it. I can't remember if it was Ben, but, oh, Ben, no, it was you. You were like, I couldn't avoid it. Right. Like at a certain point, you just can't mm -hmm. avoid it. So what do you do? It's kind of it is a crossroads. But mm -hmm. what's been really inspiring for me to hear from both of you so far is how you've really paved the way for so many other um, folks with with uh, transgender identities in the church, because we're talking 
decade ago at least for for you Alan and Ben I know it's been a while as well and I just think what a different experience you two have had than probably a lot of um, trans kids in the church coming mm. up today and I'm thankful you know as somebody who is cisgender I'm I'm really thankful that there are folks like you too have been willing to say like I'm not going to avoid this I'm not going to live in hiding mm. Um, for the sake of yourselves, but for the next generation. So I think that 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 leads me to the next question of, you know, both of you have said there there wasn't really a lot of language around your experience growing up. There wasn't a lot of conversation about trans identity um, in the church, and I would say even out of the church, probably. So I'm curious now, you know, with, Mm -hmm. with the influx of um, representation and conversation about the trans experience outside of the church. However, you know, we're still the very beginnings in the church of how we talk about this. What do you feel are some things that are missing in the conversation around gender and faith? Yeah, I mean, um, the cultural salience of gender dysphoria and trans identities and people is kind of a blessing and a curse. It definitely made the church more aware that this exists as a, you know, a um, like psychiatric phenomenon. Um, I think in a lot of conservative churches, even a decade ago, people wouldn't even acknowledge the existence of like intersex folks um, or anything that didn't quite fit the boundaries. And so what is good about this discussion and culture is that now people know it exists um, and that doesn't necessarily change the way they approach it, but at least when you tell someone, um, it's a little bit less work now, I, I would think as a as a young person being like, I'm trans, people at least know what you, you are talking about. I remember when I came out to my dad, even in 2015, it was just before the transgender tipping point that anyone was talking about Caitlyn Jenner and um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know different actors and whatnot. And my, I told my dad I was struggling with like gender issues or, and I said dysphoria because I learned about the diagnosis, you know, at college and literally had no idea what I was talking about. Wow. I don't wow. even think I completely understood how much he didn't know what I was talking about. Um, mm-hmm. And so just not knowing freaked him out. Um, I think the downside for it to being such a um, topic in society is that um, it's gotten also hard to tell when someone comes out as trans, what do they mean? Because there's a lot of types of trans people now. And I um, follow a lot of Dr. Yarhouse's work. He just came out with a second book. He wrote it with another individual, and I can't remember her name right now, but it's called Emerging Gender Identities. And in that book, oh, nice. he talks about how to parents, basically, that nowadays gender expression and being trans or having diagnosable dysphoria, they've kind of been combined together. So some mm-hmm. kids, when they mm-hmm. say they're trans, they're just telling you that I don't feel comfortable in my role. I want to express myself differently. They might not even be telling you, I want to get on hormones. I want to transition. I want to exactly. be the opposite sex. So that has made it more difficult for me to kind of convey why my story, like why I needed to transition, 
because for me, it was a very medically based decision um, because I was very sick and hormone replacement therapy really helped my physical health as well as my emotional wow. health. And wow. so that's been a difficulty trying to tease that out because I think when the church mm -hmm. talks about this and they want to make policies and, and make dogmatic statements about it, they're kind of combining all of that stuff into one group and it's not very mm. helpful. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I was, um, I was hearing a conversation about trans identity recently and something that has kind of stuck with me in a way that it bothered me within the faith conversation was I feel like, and Ben, I want to hear your response to that question. Maybe this will tie into it. Ben, you might actually know what I'm talking about. But I feel like there's there, there can be an idolizing of people who choose hmm. to either not transition, detransition, or kind of in some way. And I, they're not all the same. Um, but it, or some ways suppress their gender expression um, within the church. Like, yeah, okay, fine. We, we accept and we know that people have gender dysphoria. We accept and we know that there might be people who identify as transgender. However, what, what we're really hoping for in this whole journey is, is that people kind of go back, so to say, so to speak, go back to the gender that God has created them to be. And I, I hate even saying that, forgive me, if by no means am I hoping to be triggering because Lord knows I don't agree with this at all. <laughs> but I, I just wonder, is that also a part of the narrative that you you hear in, in the Christian, in the faith gender conversation? So yeah, Ben, I want to hear your thoughts. And then Allie, you look like you have some stuff to jump sure. into. So. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I'll address that and then and maybe talk about some other things with that but there is yes please we have to have multiple voices and so, i mean mm. this is like this isn't even related to the transgender conversation i mean how many policies are made you know by strictly just white men like white cisgender men like yes that's not good that's not the whole of our society of humanity we need to have multiple voices mm. from different experiences and so i think related to the transgender conversation if a church is going to think about how to care and steward and shepherd their sheep who have a different gender identity um, they need to do the work of learning of reading um, of inviting different voices of people who still love Jesus, but maybe have taken different paths. And I think it is true that wow. one of the the trends is to sort of have a poster child to say, like, look at this person, you know, they haven't transitioned or they detransitioned and everyone has to follow their path. And, you know, I don't think that's fair to that person either. You know, I, and I think sometimes, yeah. and Adeline and I have discussed this too, is like Adeline doesn't get invited to as many things as some of my other friends wow. that have, you know, detransitioned and, or haven't transitioned. And so I think, you know, that's, mm -hmm. that's not fair to the conversation because there's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of nuance there. There's things to be learned and, you know, it really is just about compassion, right? Like, can we, Absolutely. can we, so this is, this is the, 
the piece that I think is the biggest for me in the church is can we slow down and picture ourselves in other people's shoes? Can you imagine what it's like um, to not choose to have dysphoria, but to be frustrated and, Mm -hmm. and feel this incongruence with, within your inner self and your, and your body and the way that you like wish it was expressed and, and you want those things to line up, Mm. but it never will. Or like you can go through these things, but then it brings a lot of risk, you know, in other ways. And, and just because you transition doesn't necessarily mean dysphoria goes away either. I mean, there's, Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pain. I mean, the suicide rates too. Um, can we can we pause as a church and yeah. place ourselves <laughs> in their shoes and be like, okay, well now how can that inform my decisions and how I treat someone? Maybe pronouns is hard for someone to use, but maybe it's a loving practice to exercise that, right? Like in my mind, yeah. um, when someone asks for pronouns that maybe are different than their biological sex like that's an invitation to say that you're a safe person and that you see them Mm -hmm. as a human being um Mm -hmm. yeah it might be challenging for someone but yeah so i think certainly the compassion piece and i think there's just honestly sort of an intellectual laziness in the church where we want to make decisions based on some sort of cultural presumption without actually doing the research and like not just theological but medical and and psychological mm-hmm. as well absolutely mm-hmm. yeah so so true and isn't that the way of jesus like jesus literally put himself in our mm-hmm. shoes like I, and i can't imagine that that was always easy i i really i'm sure that there were times where it was challenging yet the the immense humility of christ is such an example to us that's so true. Really good. Yeah. yeah I, I, talk, talk to me because I'm I'm now I'm like mad that you're not getting invited. to places. Um, I'm about to have a conference just so you can come and and get it. No, um, yeah, that is changing. I, I have an announcement coming out later this summer, but I'm also starting a podcast called At the Table. And Shut it's up. Gonna, yeah, it's going to be rolling into also a nonprofit where we're we already have an October 8 um, event booked in Ann Arbor that's going to be a queer worship night. So I'm taking a Christian artist who transitioned, is re-releasing their music, and we're inviting all queer people to come and just, like, praise God and be in a, in a safe and fun environment. So ah, it's, I'm, I'm very, I'm so waiting for October because I just keep on getting that scripture, like, if you guys don't cry out to God, even these rocks mm. will cry out. And yes. I just want everyone to know that even if the church doesn't want you to worship God and his glory and splendor, like we're going to get the trans, we're going to get the oh people my. of color, we're going to get the non-binary, and we're all just going to scream our hearts out for God because we don't know the answers, but we love him still. And mm. um Anyway, but to address what you were talking about, about this kind of, I think, censoring of voices is sometimes as a Christian who has transitioned and that also helped my, my physical life and helped my, like, you know, my well adjustment to life. um, It doesn't fit the narrative of transitioning makes your life kind of bad and you're kind of this pity case and like, you're going to come back to the church and like confess it all as a sin. 
And um, I've noticed that in conservative circles, particularly, there's a hyper focus on people that detransition and especially mm-hmm. a hyper focus on trans masculine voices, which is totally okay. And those voices wow. and those stories need to be whole, be told. But it kind of feels to me is the church's internalized like misogyny coming to play again, because we're more comfortable with female um, bodied people presenting masculine, but we're not comfortable mm-hmm. with masculine people preventing presenting in more feminine way. Mm -hmm. And that is because inherently rooted in some conservative theology is a kind of lower placement on the value of women. And I experienced this growing Mm -hmm. up as a young person um, presenting male, but feeling like a young girl and and identifying Mm -hmm. with those stories. And I remember growing up and I remember thinking about, this should have told me I was trans back then. Um, But I remember thinking like, man, I don't want to be like my mom when I grow up because that's kind of boring. Like, I love the idea of motherhood and of of raising children, but that's the only thing you're allowed to do. Like, that made me feel like that's going to be very boring. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of like want to call that out because I felt like sometimes like I'm a smokescreen where I get invited once or twice and it's like, okay, we've talked to a trans person. Now we can keep on saying to you. And I get this point at me like, well, this person, like they're living the way God's intention is and they're doing fine. I'm like, but they're also presenting masculine, um, sometimes using different pronouns. Like that option wasn't available to me, even if I wasn't having all my medical issues because no one would love that for me walking into church, like with wow. a dress and, you know, makeup as a non-transition oh, wow. male. Um, so that's one. Two, about slowing down, Ben's idea about slowing down. I've been kind of going through a different type of faith crisis recently where I've been, I've been exploring the Catholic church for a long time, but a lot of that is centered in my desire to learn about what the early church was. And I'm starting to over, under you know, under uncover some threads that where even today, I, I don't know what church to go to because sometimes I see the Catholic church is more right in some areas and then the Protestant church is more correct in other areas. But one thing I'm noticing is that Christianity from the beginning was a bunch of groups constantly fighting over what was right because when mm. we know truth and we know we have truth, we have to be very careful about what that truth is and therefore that it, it 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 makes debate happen because people care yeah. about the truth. If you don't care about the truth, you're not going to debate it. Why debate it yeah. if you don't care? And I do like the idea of slowing down because I think the early church took centuries to come down on certain positions firmly. Mm-hmm. And um, I think what we're doing now, like I'm on a side B podcast of someone that's um, transitioned is a healthy thing. Um, I was looking back into the early church fathers writing some of the texts that the church calls, you know, the church doctors, like from the early people like Clement and Ignatius and, and these folks that were integral in the forming the first and second century church. And I read something out of a, a, a thing called the Didache, which was an early, basically catechism for early Christians. It just taught like, how is the church set up? What do you need to know before baptism? And there was a quote from this um, 
gospel that's not it's not in the canon um but it was one of those books that was in dispute early on in the church called the gospel of barabbas i don't know if anyone's heard this but he is speaking to these G gentile christians about like how much do they have to um you know adhere to the old jewish you know customs which was the big question yeah. in the first century church and yeah. the gospel said the barabbas quotes it says do as much as you can to to uphold the complete law of God and you will be perfect. But if you can't, do as much as you can. And in that quote, wow. I see a huge graciousness of the church of like, yeah. hey, we're all pursuing perfection, but realizing that some of us might not be able to get there and might have a lot of obstacles in getting there, whether it's our sexuality or needing to transition to stay alive. It's this mm -hmm. idea that we're not gonna be perfect here on earth, but we're all approaching each other in love. And mm. I see so much in the modern church is like, we need to have a dogmatic statement and yeah. we need to decide who's in, who's out, instead of living with the uncomfortable tension of being unified in Christ in a church body and also having people come to different conclusions. Mm. So that's something I would I, like to see kind of infused into the modern church. So good. Like I am so, first of all, so excited about this podcast. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not in charge of life on side B, but I'm just going to go ahead and make a, a statement <laughs> that we're going to, we're definitely going to be sharing about the podcast. Um, and, and can you give the dates and details about this queer worship night? Is that what you called it? What was it? LGBTQ? Yeah, it's going to be, it's October 8th. I, I actually, my um, partner is, um, booking the venue so i'm not quite sure the name of the venue but i can send okay. it along to you guys it's going to be in ann arbor Please. october 8th so um we're kind of getting all of our social medias together and launching that yet but we're we're welcoming everyone to come it's going to be a great yes. night um tickets oh, will there, be girl. for free and you can donate to what we're yeah. doing so it's going to be very ex we want it to be very accessible to everyone so well, life on side B is there. <laughs> I'm there. I am so, I'm serious. Yeah, <laughs> like um, I'm ready to buy. We'll, be, we'll love to see you there. Hey, so come to Grand Rapids because yeah. yeah. Ann Arbor is what, 45 okay. minutes-ish? Yeah. Oh, that's so it? So we can all drive okay, together. I'll we'll make yeah, it a whole thing. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make it a whole thing. Oh my gosh, how fantastic. So exciting. And thank, thank you both for answering that question with such mm -hmm. grace. And I, I... I see it too, and I'm sorry that I just see it and you all have to experience it. I mean, obviously, there are ways that I experience. I, Adeline, when you were sharing about, um, you know, what is more palatable in the church in terms of gender expression and gender identity, like, I totally get it, you know, because I feel like there, I'm at an advantage as a married woman who is bisexual that one people kind of innately trust me a little bit more or feel more comfortable because I'm married mm -hmm. and then also because I'm a woman um and there's something like more appealing about a bisexual woman but it's the patriarchy like it's mm -hmm. because we live in a in a male dominant society that thinks it's sexy and interesting for women to like other women but mm -hmm. less sexy and interesting for men to like other men. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I can only imagine the weight of that within the trans experience as well as a transgender woman. Like, 
Mm-hmm. I yeah, I mean, I literally had people say, why would you want to be a woman? I'm like, it's not Yikes. really something I got to decide, <laughs> first of all. <laughs> yeah. But like, it was like, why would you want to be that thing? Like, you're stepping down. Mm. There's this entire, like, like for, for trans feminine people that are transitioning, it's like you're like this kind of inherent like they're almost implicitly saying like you're degrading yourself. Mm. Um, and I, I, you know, I think that has been with gay men as well. I don't know. Um, I can't really speak fully to that experience, but I know that like the transition from kind of ancient world of like same sex relationships being very dominated but like an unequal power structure between young boys Mm -hmm. and like their their like um you know benefactors what has happened with the gay discussion early on was like oh these people are perverse oh they're pedophiles oh they're it's and so when i was transitioning to a woman it was like oh you're kind of doing something perverted or like debasing um and that was difficult to deal with i think for sure (laughs) wow uh, ben, I'm curious for you and kind of your your place and something both of you said earlier on mm-hmm. as well, and I think should be reiterated, is that this is a lifelong journey. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need to have all your ducks in a row all the time, though it, I'm can only imagine people expect that from you. you. You don't need to always figure it out. Ben, I love that that you came in and said, Hey, the pronouns I'm using right now, are they them? And I don't know if it's going to stay that way. Mm-hmm. And and I'm okay with that. And I think that I'm so, I'm so glad that there's room for that now where there wasn't before. Um, but I'm curious as someone who is in a different place in, in their um, gender expression, mm-hmm. what does, what does gender expression and Adeline, this, goes to you as well, but I want to hear from Ben first. Like, what does mm-hmm. gender expression look like for you, particularly in relationship to your faith? Mm. Yeah. And and also, like, do you feel like you have license to express it? I don't. Not really. Um, I think there's mm. <clears throat> there's some things, for sure. excuse me I think right now I'm trying to learn I'm still trying to learn who I am and to have the freedom to live that out um and to not be living in fear of what other people think totally you know trying to push against my childhood and (laughs) all the wounding right like you know I think part of my story is I uh I was given this image of like, I've often had to be the mortar, not the brick. I've had to fit into what other people need. And so some of my journey and healing has been to be more of a brick and to be sure of who I am and to be able to say no or to do things that might not, you know, fit the uh, sort of masculine image, but like to, to have some freedom. So like, Um, One thing has been piercings I've really enjoyed, like sort of uh, exploring, you know, sort of that expression has been really good. Um, I think, too, just like maybe things and interests and and even how 
I talk, I think are, are pieces of that. I think pronouns is even a step for that to like, there was some fear of like, well, you know, what are people going to think? And, and ultimately like I found that that was bringing some, some peace, right? Like there was always a little bit of tension there with, with masculine pronouns Mm -hmm. and not like I, you know, will crumble if someone says he or his, but Mm. you know, I, I feel more seen, I think when people are, are using they, them. So, um, that's, Mm -hmm. that's kind of where I'm at with that. Um, but I, I don't know. I think part of it too, is I'm, I'm married and, um, there's sort of, I mean, within any marriage, there's a level of compromise that has to happen. And so, you know, trying to navigate those things, um, you know, at first, you know, body hair was kind of an issue, but I, I'm comfortable, you know, like, you know, shaving off body hair to just like try to get rid of some of that, mm-hmm. you know, the things that bring dysphoria. So, I mean, there's, there's limited things. I think they're all relatively, I'd say like superficial, but there are some things that either it's fear or it's, you know, um, it's sort of a level of compromise too with my wife that I want to make sure that, yeah. that she's yeah. doing well, then, um, it is a challenge. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm still yeah. trying to figure that out, but I guess at the end of the day, um, I'm trying to learn how to be positive about my body and who I am, uh, as it is. And that, let me know when you figure that one it's out. It's such a, it's such a <laughs> fight. It's such a fight. Oh my There's so many messages that I've been told and tell myself that are so painful and terrible. Mm. Um, and so I'm, you know, I think that's one of my goals and counseling and, and even just my life, like to remember. And I think one thing that's been helpful is just to remember like, okay, I would never say things to another human being that I say to myself in my own head. And so part of it is like learning to say, okay, I'm actually worthy of being loved. I can include myself in this. Um, And to remember too, like to picture Jesus and how he sees me. It's certainly not the way that I would see myself. And so trying to like reorient um, the way that I think about myself the dysphoria is still there like but sometimes Mm -hmm. that can help come combat that and i I think that's that's where i want to go is trying to learn Mm -hmm. that self-love wow that's i i love that and i think one of the beautiful parts about being queer that i'm trying to accept and like be prideful about you know be happy about is that like I think we have the ability to see people for who they are. I remember sitting Absolutely. with um, Ben after one of our talks in Boise and then like riding back on the plane and just remembering what I felt like before I presented the way I do. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. but people would always tell me I can see you no matter what. And that's one thing that God has always told me is like, you are you no matter what, mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. are this unique thing that I created. And um, one thing that helped me, I'd always go back to these passages that like were used as clobber passages. And then I really wanted to like redeem them. So I would like wrestle with God and be like, I'm gonna keep on reading this. This makes me feel horrible, but I'm gonna keep on asking for you to show me. And there was this very profound moment I had in the woods. Um, I I loved saying, telling this story because 
one of my favorite saints in the church is St. Kateri, and she was the first um, Indian or Native American to convert mm -hmm. to the faith. And she was ostracized wow. for that. She was shunned from her community. So she's known as the patron saint of outcasts and mm -hmm. converts. And what I love about it is she would just go in the woods and like worship God because she, she just always wanted to be um, saying her prayers and focusing on, on the death and resurrection of Jesus. So she'd make a cross in the woods and go. And before I knew about her, I did that too. And I went out in the woods one day and I was going on that passage, like he made them male and female. And I was like, this just always sucks to read because it, it like, as I read it, I immediately feel tension and I feel like separated from who I am. Like I, it, I'm either the best thing God created or the worst thing, you know, because of the way that passage has been used. Like mm. that there's this very essential difference between men and women and like they're from totally different planets, nothing alike. And I was praying, I was doing the, you know, Alexa Divina on that passage. And finally I felt the Holy Spirit kind of give me a really warm presence and I just mm. felt this like breath sound, this like, like that, like God's breath. And I remembered at the moment that it wasn't when God fashioned the body of Adam that it became a person. It was when God breathed the life into that person, that spirit. And I was like, I can accept myself because I am a woman. I am a daughter of God. I transitioned, mm. I presented differently. But that spirit that God breathed in me was oh. special. And I go to the other passage that was a clever passage. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows yes. you full well. And that used to be used as a, like, look at, you're not living to God's intention. And that got flipped for me by the Holy Spirit to being like, I knew exactly who you were. Mm -hmm. And I think you're wow. beautiful. And so wow. um, I just think, yeah. And I think for like body image issues, like what Ben was talking about, I think what people don't also realize is that if you're a trans person that's choosing not to transition, the toxic way that we police women's bodies and like have this ideal beauty standard applies to even the trans folk that don't don't transition in a way that I think other yes. men don't experience mm -hmm. because they're not trying to fit that archetype. But even when you're not transitioning, even the times before I transitioned, I was always subconsciously trying to compare myself to that ideal. And I always fell short. Even after mm. hormones, I can confess, I still fall short. But even before mm. transition, hormonal transition, like it was so much easier to like, be like, I suck because I don't look like that. Mm. And I don't, yeah. and my body's this way in this area and I hate it. So I just like to bring that up. That it's like something that people don't think about is how the issues that a lot of women struggle with in terms of body image and issues apply to a lot of gender um, dysphoric people. Mm, mm, mm. Y'all, I feel like we just went to church. <laughs> I, I mean, we're like, literally, this is, this is sacred grounds. Mm. Like this is fan. This, what a fantastic conversation. And yeah, like I, I think, God is the one that, that gives us life. Like you, like you were saying, like he, his breath is the life within us. And I think something that's so beautiful about all of our experiences as gender minority, as sexual minorities, mm -hmm. is that 
like we we have not only do we have to see others and we we get the privilege of seeing others well but i think like it constantly brings us back to god mm -hmm. like i'm constantly brought back to god because as much as i would try to be the perfect archetype it just doesn't happen mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. it it just doesn't exist in these bones in in this body yet I don't have to hate, we don't, we could choose to hate ourselves and, and that's a part of the journey too. Um, mm -hmm. But there's also the choice to like, look to the one who's the lover of our souls. Mm -hmm. um, and I hear that in both of your, your stories and experiences. Mm -hmm. So, so amazing. Yeah. I also think that there's a, um, there's a myth that like, because you transition, you like, I think Christians like, like you must hate your body. And I went through a long hmm. process of not hating my body, but because I transitioned didn't mean I hated my body. And I think that's what mm. people think is like, if you change your body, that means you hated it and you didn't respect it. Okay. Um, and wow. for me, transition was actually a way that I became healthier. I was respecting and stewarding the body that God gave me to live in the most functional way I could. Mm, mm, mm. So, mm. Um, Ben, I'm curious. Yeah. I, I want to ask this question. Um, I, I, I'm curious, like, just thinking about what Adeline just said about loving your body. Mm -hmm. I, I've heard, we've talked about this a little bit before about like what, you know, we kind of already said, like, what does it look like to have a gender expression? But I, I think even deeper, what does it look like for you to love your body? Mm -hmm. You know, like, I, and and forgive me if it's too personal. Josh can cut it out. <laughs> I just, I, I I think all of our listeners probably have experienced it to some degree. And and I'm I'm yeah. I would just love to hear whatever you feel comfortable sharing. What does it look like for you to love your body? <clears throat> is it even is it even a thing you consider? Yeah, it's a battle. It is a battle, a mm. daily battle, and not one that I win often, I would say. Um, mm. Mm. I think there's some things, regardless of gender identity, that, you know, is caring for your body. And it's like getting sleep, hydrating, like m like moving your body, like getting outside and doing something. Mm. Um, you know, so I think I'm dealing with a lot of, like, personal things with that for sure. But... Um, there's definitely been moments when I do care for my body and I'm like, no, this is actually really important that I can like feel it. It feels good. It feels like I'm doing something intentional. And I think um, part of it is sort of, like I said before, um, sort of relearning how I see myself. Like I am, I am a human being and I love mm -hmm. other people so I can love myself. Like I can include myself in these things. And mm -hmm. um, as far as like dysphoria goes, I don't, I don't know if that it's like an actual physical practice, but I remember, I can't remember which airport I was in, but I just had like a wave of dysphoria that was really strong, super hard. And it was almost mm -hmm. like every, every woman that I saw had what I could not have. And every man that I saw, especially older men, I'm like, that is like 
my destination and I hate it. Um, and it was just overwhelming. And I remember coming up to one of those like fast tracks, right. Where you, where the belt goes a little faster. And, um, I really just invited Jesus in. I, I need to do that more often, but I was like, Jesus, do you see me right now? Do you see like I'm hurting? And Mm. It actually lessened some of it to know that like he was listening, right? Like he was he was there in spirit with me, and I was still struggling in that moment. But even just to acknowledge it, to acknowledge the pain, to acknowledge sort of that overwhelming moment, and to invite Jesus in is a practice that I I need to do. And it's it's not I don't think it can be the only thing, right? Um. But certainly it was good in that moment emotionally. I think, you know, there's there's a lot more uh, that I would be able to do, I think, like fashion-wise I would love to do. Um, there's like a certain ideal body that I would, you know, want to work toward that would allow me to do more things. But, um, yeah, I think it's been different since I've worked from home, right? Cause it's like easy to just wear <laughs> like shorts and a t-shirt and like, that's great. But like to be able to, to acknowledge like, like to, to do what's flattering and to do what, you know, makes me yeah. feel good is really important. And to, to make sure that I'm addressing the physical needs is, is super important. So I don't know if that answers your question super well, but no, it yeah. does. It does. It does. And I think like, for me, it's something I take for granted uh, every day is that, you know, don't get me wrong. I don't look in the mirror every day and I'm like, damn, you're hot, girl. Like, I, I do that a lot, actually. Sorry. I'm a good every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, But I, I take for granted that I just I go to the store and I pick out a, a skirt or a dress or top that I love and I buy it and that's the end like Mm -hmm. and I can I can do that in the guy section the little boy section of the store of like clothing stores is one of my favorites because everything fits and it has like a hint of you know um it has a hint of lesbian like energy that I Mm -hmm. I like to pick up every now and again so, but, but that's a luxury. Like I just get that. And, and Ben, I, I, you know, even when asking, like, do you feel like you have the license and quickly you were like, no, you know, like I, I, I can't imagine what it's like to not only walk into store, say, man, I love that. And then don't feel like you have the license to purchase it. But like you're saying at this airport, like, literally looking at other people and saying that will never be me like Mm -hmm. that's heavy stuff that's a that's a lot to carry um and i i'm so grateful that you have a god that can can carry it with you and for you yeah expression is a hard thing too um i felt like in the first four three years when i was at that conservative christian college that like I didn't feel free to express myself or wear the things that I would want to wear because I felt at one point like I was being all eyes were on me first of all 
because everyone was curious about how my body would change, you know? Um, so it was like middle school, but like times eight, cause I couldn't disappear because I was like this like circus creature that everyone like mm. loved to like wow. just see. And so I remembered like, if I do my makeup and I mess up, like many people do when they first start doing makeup, when they're 12, that like mm -hmm. people would mock me or make fun of me and be like, oh, like she's not a real woman or something like that. And then like mm -hmm. how I dress even to this day is like based off of my comfortability of like expressing my femininity. So I feel like a lot of times I'm very androgynous because I've been hurt so badly by like wow. presenting female that it's still hard sometimes because I have so much trauma mm -hmm. with, with wearing the things I want to wear. Um, and like also this weird never ending needle you have to thread of like not being too feminine. Otherwise people will be like, you're perpetuating a stereotype as a trans woman. Yeah. Like you think women just wear dresses and makeup and high heels. And then if I'm not feminine enough, it's like, are you even trans? Like, why did you even do this? And I'm like, oh I can't win. Yes. And I think me and Ben shared that experience of like, for us, wearing things is never just wearing things. Yeah. Wow. It just isn't. Mm. It does <laughs> suck. I just want to focus on worshiping God or being in church and the whole, and this is why I'm looking into more affirming churches because I don't even feel like I can focus on worshiping God when I'm wondering if someone knows I'm trans, thinking I'm trans, or found out I'm trans. Wow. Mm. Wow. It's so hard. Mm. And that like that makes me so sad because there shouldn't just be one kind of church that opens its doors yeah. to anyone. Um, I, I, I just I hate that that that's a reality. I'm so sorry to both of you. And Ben, I by the way, everyone, I have seen Ben wear some fantastic outfit oh good oh, yeah. good to hear no for real. looking sharp so when Why? i come to grand rapids we're gonna we're gonna pick some things off the off the rack all right and just let Sounds it good. be what it is ben i'm so excited oh, i'm here in shopping street so <laughs> shopping's awesome that's yeah, great um, okay, Ben, so another question yeah. directed uh, for you, you know, you started to mention a little bit about being married yeah. and your wife, and I would love to have hear a little bit from you about what's the experience like for you and your partner, um, and, and yeah, like, how does she care for you? How do you care for her as mm. you navigate transgender identity and gender dysphoria? Yeah, we're figuring that out. <laughs> Still trying to. Um, so I guess I'll maybe re kind of that's recap. The, that's the word of the episode. Oh, yeah. Like, the word of the, or the, the phrase is we're all trying to figure right. it out. That's that's the title. <laughs> On a side note, um, <laughs> you ever hear those testimonies where it's like, I met Jesus and everything was just great afterward. Like, yes. I cannot <laughs> stand those testimonies. And I... No. I I say that knowing, like, Jesus can totally, like, I fully believe he can break addictions and <laughs> patterns of sin and, like, totally renew someone. But that's just, like, one moment, right? Um, and then I think yeah. about 
the letters that Paul wrote and like how screwed up the church is. Like he's actually addressing these things because they're actual issues with believers, which is important to know. But like, it's never, it's never just one and done. It is always like now and not yet, right? Um, mm -hmm. So that's certainly the case with my marriage with Lauren. Um, mm. You know, Lauren, Lauren is my best friend. And I love her so, so much. We have two golden retrievers that we love to care for and we, we love our home. And there's so much that I think has been really fun to, to share our lives together. And um, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to, to live with mm. someone else and be so vulnerable. Um, you know, and I... Yeah, I, I say that being very conscious of um, being on the Side B podcast, <laughs> right? There's a lot of single people and, you know, whether yeah, yeah. And, and a lot by choice. And um, I guess I'm getting a little bit off track, but one of the one of the things that's prevented me from transitioning has been my marriage. Um, I don't, and I think that's fair, right? So mm -hmm. Lauren married a man and is attracted to, this is interesting. She's attracted to my masculine physical qualities, but my like more feminine personality qualities. So it's kind of interesting. Um, and, but it's like totally fair, right? Like to have to reflect, yeah. okay, is this something that we want to go to? And some people transition in their marriages, you know, they make it work you know um and uh still are following jesus right like trying to make that work um mm -hmm. we i don't know think there's so many things that can happen in our lives that we can't foresee um you know i i think of like what happens if one of us gets in a car accident and we have to care for each other like i mean horrible situation but um sort of the cost of marriage right is to to be there and and sort of surrender yeah. my needs i have to stand up for my needs too but i need to care for this other person and it's such a beautiful metaphor i think right like that's the the goal i think of a, a christian marriage is to work to be the representation that like you know god is is there through the thick and thin um yeah and that's been a challenge and i think we've had to learn to compromise and i think initially you know when i came out to her it was really hard on her you know it's like what is this going to mean for us and um you know I, I don't know that we have like a, all these amazing practices that we figured out but one of the biggest things in any sort of relationship um marriage or not is communication and so one of the things that i try to do is is let her know when i'm really struggling when the dysphoria so like dysphoria to me i use this image of like a volume right on a radio <clears throat> sometimes it is just cranked up and it is so loud and distracting mm. and and it's hard to like focus on anything else and sometimes it's like a one out of ten where it's like if i really look it's like okay yeah it's there but it's more like really low white noise hardly even notice it um and so when it's really cranked up i i let her know um you know, that's something that's been helpful, I think, is just to make sure that there's 
some level of communication there. Um, I also have other people that I can go to, um, other trans people that I can share with, you know, when my dysphoria is up. And, you know, I think we're still figuring it out. Um, but certainly there's there's a level of, of compromise that we're trying to work out. It's like, you know, what can I still do to address some of this dysphoria without, like, medically transitioning? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, um, you know, Adeline and I, I think would probably both agree with like Mark Garhouse's sort of standard of like do like the least amount to address the dysphoria so like for some people it's really strong like even for for Adeline I'm not gonna speak for Adeline but right like the the physical (laughs) the physical piece was huge right um yeah like her body is so much better now that she's transitioned and Mm -hmm. I don't think um I don't know I'll get back to marriage, I guess. I, I think it's it's hard. I know people that have uh, gotten divorced because one person, mm-hmm. the dysphoria is just so strong. And the other person said, like, that's not going to be, you know, that's not going to work. And that's heartbreaking, mm-hmm. especially when kids are involved. And um, yeah. But also, like, I have to remember, too, like... Um, Divorce is not the worst thing in the world. It sucks. I'm never going to like no. promote it as the best no. thing, but God gives us this option uh, to, in some ways, it promotes life, right? Like, mm-hmm. if someone is absolutely suffering and there's no way to move forward in the relationship, like, yeah, it's not ideal, but I think maybe it's there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know the status of the couple that I'm thinking of, but but maybe yeah. you know this person is is more emotionally stable and like able to like care for themselves where they weren't able to before. Yeah. So, you know, I don't. It's hard to like say that there's a one size fits all. There just isn't. Yeah. But for Lauren and I, you know, we're we're trying to figure out what works and what doesn't, and to be there for each other and to talk mm-hmm. it through. I've been there for a lot of, I've been there for a lot of couples too. Um, Like just from my years of being like being on Preston's podcast and whatnot, I couples reach out and Mm -hmm. it's always interesting to see, like I've, I've talked to one couple that like I've seen their marriage get stronger in such a beautiful way because they're struggling with dysphoria together. And it's not like this thing that's like put on the margins of their, you know, their marriage. Um, but what I have tried to do with married folk when they ask me like how to go about this, um, and I'm not a counselor, but you know, I just try to think about it real carefully is like your one flash. So just as much as one person can't do a unilateral decision, I think oftentimes I tell the other partner as well, you need to understand how difficult this is. And the fact that our marriage vows includes for sickness and health, like Sometimes this could be a very serious mental or physical issue. And so um, both people should always be trying to submit to one another and serve each other. Um, I even think of one of the earliest examples of a trans person in Western society was way back in the 1930s with Lily Elb. She was a Danish painter. Um, It was dramatized in the movie, the Danish girl, not the best movie, but that's what Hollywood did yeah. with it. 
anyway, her wife was very instrumental. Yeah, her wife was very <laughs> instrumental in helping her along that transition, even though it meant the death of her husband. But because her yeah. love was so strong for this person she married, and she finally realized there's no way that this person is getting out of it alive, then she was on board of trying to get the help that that person needed. Um, yeah. So I think those stories can be very beautiful, even though they're very difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for adding that. And I, I've seen Lauren and Ben in action and like, I, Ben, I'm sure it's not perfect, but I admire your resilience. Uh, you know, no pun intended, that is the, the topic or our, mm -hmm. yeah, our topic of the season. And I think your marriage really does speak to what resilience looks like um, in, in, in this experience. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I wanted to ask a question about resilience. However, I'm realizing we've been just talking about resilience this whole <laughs> hour. <laughs> in different forms and fashions and i i'm just yeah i'm in awe of the resilience of both of you in the in the diverse ways that you've chosen resilience you've chosen life uh you've chosen christ um it is inspiring to me and i'm sure to all the listeners here whether they experience gender uh, dysphoria or or not like Wow, what a testimony to God's goodness. So, but before we close, there's one question that we always ask, uh, and and I wanna make sure we get this in. So if you could share just one thing to the your younger self, pick an age, what, what would be that thing that you would share with yourself? Even knowing this question ahead of time, like, what would that be? You know, like, just trying to ponder it. And um, I, there's just different moments. Even, like, six-year-old kid, 16-year-old mm. kid, where I'm just like, you are worthy of love. Like, you are beautiful, mm. and you're worth it. And that's something that I'm, mm. I'm learning myself now, and I, I wish I would have really had a good grasp of that as a younger kid so that's what i would tell my younger self you're worthy you're worth it beautiful there are people who needed to hear that today mm -hmm. ben so thank you for telling 16 year old you hmm. and and a bunch of other people that you'll never meet how worthy mm -hmm. they are good word mm -hmm. adeline <laughs> take us out yeah um I would have told that little girl that she had the permission to be herself, um, to be okay with how she's different than all of the other boys that were in the class. And I would have also just reminded her that no matter what happens, that Jesus is going to be there and he's going to yeah. sustain you. Um, and that there's like a light at the end of the tunnel. Like I felt like if I knew there was a light at the end of the tunnel, like I would have been so much more calm to like enjoy where I was at the given mount. Mm -hmm. Um, and just also like, I would tell her like, God has been so good and I'm so grateful because even though my childhood was so different 
than most of my girlfriends. I also had a lot of normality and that mm-hmm. I can only attribute to God. Like I had a bunch of really good girlfriends on the playground. Like I didn't have to play football all the time. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just got so many good moments that like spoke to my soul, like good sleepovers and mm-hmm. good chats and like, just people that saw me at each stage in my life, even before I transitioned. So that's what I would have told told me many, many years ago. I'm old now. <laughs> so good, so good. Well, all I can say is thank you for letting me hopefully be more of a fly on the wall in this conversation and just gleaning from both of your, your hearts and your wisdom and experience and I guess all I can say other than thank you is, yeah, it's, it is, it's thank you for being you. Thank you for letting me and the world see who you truly are. And thank you for doing it in a faithful walk with Christ, like Mm -hmm. truly, truly paving the way. What a blessing to the body, whether they tell you or not, you both are such a blessing to this to our community and to the church mm. at large so thank you both for being you and thanks for being here today it's such a pleasure thanks for yeah thank thanks you. for having me so good to talk to you yes